There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit MarketHouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Hey, this is Tyler Jones, and you're listening to The Element Podcast. What's happening on my woods, people? Today, or actually at the time you hear this, we will be in the Gila. So we wanted to just say what's up real quick and say that we had pre-recorded this conversation with Aaron. And uh, we wanted to get this out in a timely manner because we know the early season, that October period is coming up. And that can be a tricky time of year for a lot of guys to hunt. And also a very important time for a lot of guys to to, uh, kill a deer before they start going crazy in the rut. And... uh, end up on a neighbor's property or something like that right casey <laughs> that's right that's <laughs> right and uh i know that if, if you're anything like us you want to maximize your season and i hate the feeling of uh thinking that the first two or three weeks of october really there's no reason to be hunting because i don't i think that yeah. the deer have to exist no matter what like sure. it's not like they cease to exist until pre-rut gets here so there's got to be a way to get out there and kill them and i yeah. think that's what uh aaron's going to kind of help us talk yeah. about and i think you know i think the 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 key thing to, to remember is that you know in this conversation this guy hunts a lot of public so he has a lot of land that it doesn't matter if he burns up a spot you know but if you have a private land spot then you know you may not want to just bust your big deer out of there so uh i think that that uh, one thing that is maybe something you should get on the ball with if you haven't is to have several spots so that Mm -hmm. you have a few different deer that you'd be happy with maybe um and that way you can be hunting as much as possible and that's really what it boils down to for us a lot of times you know like we may have a private spot or something like that but you know we want to hunt in october too you know because it's open so Mm -hmm. let's go you know and in in that case if you've got a deer that you're not 100 percent patterned on or whatever then go to public so anyway uh currently if you're listening to this, we're in the Gila, and um, and we're 
I think we're after a 370, aren't we? Well, I think we've talked ourselves into that. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah guys, yeah. Uh, wish us luck. Um, right now, you know, this is pre-recorded. It's a couple days before we leave, and I'm feeling very excited and pretty nervous. So uh, wish us luck. Pray for my nerves. Pray for our safety. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, uh, if, it's in the, if it's in the chips for us, uh, I hope we uh, get to leave with pretty heavy packs. Yeah. Maybe by the time they're listening to this, we actually are packing. Meat. Dude, That'd that be would cool. be cool. Yeah, we're we're going to be. I got a feeling we're going to be packing some meat at this Ooh, on this trip. Man. So I like your feelings. I did. Yeah, <laughs> me too, man. Uh, I'm really excited about this trip, and I think we're both nervous because we know we don't have everything in order yet. Mm-hmm. But uh, we've kind of been talking today a little bit, and I think we're going to be all right. I think we're going to. Uh, give ourselves some time to get out there and maybe leave a little bit earlier than, than we thought we were and and uh, hopefully we'll be good and relaxed and focused like you want to be going into game time you know mm-hmm. so I know how trips like this go you know I've gone to Colorado a whole bunch on hunting trips and um, I've never felt the level of anxiety that I have right now but I've felt this in, in a certain way at least and you feel like you don't have everything tied up or everything's done or whatever before you leave or you're not completely prepared but man once you uh point that truck the direction of where you're headed that all goes out the window because it's happening whether Mm -hmm. you like it or not so you just got to forget about the stuff that you may or may not be prepared for and just work with what you have so really i just cannot wait to be headed that direction yeah me too man for sure um and I'm just going to employ as many tactics as I felt that I learned during the backcountry episode, man. So I'm glad that we got to talk to all those people this year because that's been a big help for me. And, yeah, for sure. Uh, we've had several people reach out and wish us luck and that kind of thing. And that's been been a, a very encouraging thing to see. Um, and I guess the last thing I'll leave you guys with is just make sure that uh, you go check out the Nebraska film, which is out, and uh, be looking for a podcast that uh recaps the gila trip i think next week and we'll we'll do some discussing about that on the way home and hopefully we are super excited to bring what is essentially going to be a big bull breakdown to you oh man (laughs) (laughs) so anyway in the meantime we're gonna get to aaron uh we'll catch you at the end of this episode and then we'll uh give you the recap next week all right today on the podcast we've got aaron warbritton from the hunting public what's going on dude hey guys not much Hanging out in Missouri, wet my butt off. <laughs> hey, we know the feeling, man. It's actually been pretty nice weather here uh, last couple of days. Uh, but uh, when I say nice, that's like ninety, you know, eighty nine, <laughs> something like that. So, uh, right, it's relative. It's relative for sure. But uh, um, I heard that uh, I got a buddy that's in uh, Southern Missouri, and he said one day recently he woke up. It was like in the sixties. So that's pretty awesome. I don't know if you experienced any of that. Oh yeah, I mean that's I've I've been dealing with the same. <laughs> yeah, well that's good. That's good. So. Cool, man. Well, uh, we've been we've been uh, kind of preparing for early season deer and elk and that kind of thing. But we, uh, you know, I drew a, an Iowa tag as we mentioned off air earlier, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely be focused on that, and I have been for the last uh, couple weeks, especially doing map scouting and that kind of thing. And so really excited to talk to you. Um, and you know, part of my kind of, kind of part of my game plan right now is to is to try to get up there in October at some point. So um, you know, I definitely am interested in talking about pre rut and that kind of thing, and even just really just early season, you know, opener because I know that you guys seem to have um, had some pretty good hunts the last couple of years in that first week of October. So 
um, with things kind of cooling down, that's, uh, that kind of gets me, gets me in the mood, you know what I mean? So, uh, Oh yeah. At what point do you guys like, at what point do you guys kind of start talking like preseason scouting and get serious with it? And, and, uh, you know, why, I guess, why, why is it, uh, at a certain point? Oh, I mean, we're scouting all year in some sure. capacity. Um, I would say it just probably ramps up as we get closer and closer, but you know, we, we obviously become a little bit less aggressive with our scouting as we, as we get near the season. What we, what we typically do is if you've watched any of our videos, you see us diving into these bedding areas in the summertime, clear up in the, you know, the beginning of September and, uh, we're scouting them. I mean, blowing the whole thing out. And a lot of times we're spooking big bucks out of there and everything because we're trying to gather as much intel about that area as we possibly can, right. you know, and that scouting, that's that type of scouting, you know, occurs all year long, depending on the situation. But take, for example, if it's an area that we're planning to hunt early season or, or any time during the season for, you know, for example, we will, we will tone back on our scouting in that spot, you know, within a couple weeks of season. Right. And ideally we've already scouted it and we already know where the bedding areas are, where, you know, the trails intersect, where the exits are leaving the bedding. And we've developed a plan to scout around the perimeter somehow to identify if there's bucks in there. Mm -hmm. So I'm interested in, like, so if you guys, like, prior to September, does it, um, like, how serious do you take a bedding area that you find or a big buck or a big buck or, you know, big buck bed or whatever that you might find? Like, how serious do you take that? Because, you know, in a lot of my experience, at least, it seems like um, that first of September, when they kind of start shedding the velvet, it just, they just disappear sometimes. And, and uh, I know for us, you know, we've, we'll have deer on camera all summer long in, in a spot. And, um, as soon as September kind of rolls around and gets going, I don't know if it's the oaks dropping or, uh, you know, testosterone building or what, but it just seems like we, we've had so many in, good encounters in the summer or seeing, seen so many on camera. And then we just, they don't, I mean, I, I don't know. We've seen like one deer that's translated from summertime trail camera or scouting into like a, a deer that we saw during the season. Uh, anytime we see a mature buck, we're paying real close attention to it. It doesn't really matter if it's in March or if it's in July or if it's in December. Anytime we see one, we are taking a specific note of where he is, where he's likely betting and what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So how often, um, if you see one in midsummer, I mean, are you going to, do you feel pretty confident that that deer is going to be there in late October? Uh, you just never know. Yeah. Late October, by that time, they're they're really broke up and they're kind of in a rut, you know, pre-rut stage where the bucks just get pretty spread out and they start bedding closer to does and stuff. So they become harder to predict, mm-hmm. you know. But on the same sense, in the same sense, you'll see them rut in the same areas year in and year out once they hit a certain age so you know it, it just kind of just depends on the individual deer i think mm-hmm. but i i would say that 
we've seen we've seen a fair number of them in the summer translate over and into either killing them or have encounters with them in the fall. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, in there's no there's no such thing as a sure thing in deer hunting. You know, what I mean, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's also it's also situational that take what I'm saying with a grain of salt, but a fair number of times we've seen bucks in the summer and then we've been able to find them and hunt them in the fall. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And occasionally they are close to where we saw them in the summer and occasionally they're not. Mm. You know, it, it's it's very specific to the terrain and what they, you know, the food source and everything that they're using in the in the bedding areas like i said every area is slightly different but a few years ago we were getting pictures of a group of mature bucks in the summer and we actually spooked them in the summer um off of this field when they were all in velvet and uh there was i think there was five or six of them in total and this was in july and august and i went in there to pull the i left the camera alone from august 10th through the beginning of October and we went in there on October 5th to pull the camera and we had pictures of them up until the end of August and then there wasn't nothing on there the entire month of September. But we didn't just write that area off. I just assumed that those bucks weren't bedding in the same locations as they were during the summer. So that that essentially checked off that entire section of the property and we just moved to the back section, which was only when I think about it, when I think about it, it's only about 500 yards as the crow flies from that camp. So you're talking about a quarter mile shift or so. Mm-hmm. And we went back to that bedding area and we saw every one of those same bucks that we saw in the summer. All they had done was was shift about a quarter of a mile to a different bedding area. And I had actually spooked them out of that same bedding area that we saw them in in the middle of the summer before, too. So so do you think that that is um, y'all finding those bucks? Was it uh, guess and check, or did you kind of have a good idea that that was the direction they were going to head and, hey, we've pre-scouted this area back here. Let's go see if they went to it. Well, that's why that's why we always preach scouting every bedding area on the property and knowing how the whole property lays out. Because when we when we went in there and we pulled that camera and we've been getting these bucks consistently all summer, and then all of a sudden a month straight they're not there, we're automatically checking off the front two bedding areas on the place. Mm-hmm. And there's probably six bedding areas on this location of interest. So. We're taking two of the six and we're crossing them off immediately because that trail cameras, even though you're not getting pictures, see, that's the thing with trail cameras or with, or with scouting and hunting. If you're not seeing them and you're not getting pictures of them, that doesn't necessarily mean that they ain't there. But, you know, that, that does help you start to cross off areas mm-hmm. to bounce around and determine where they're at. So in this instance, we, crossed off two of those six bedding areas and we went straight back to what we thought was the best one mm-hmm. out of the, out of the remaining four. And we just happened to find the one that they were all in, gotcha. you know, and, and we hunted that one and we saw them all in the first night. Um, it was, it was the buck nest video back in the Midwest whitetail day. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
that we had on, on that show, um, where we saw all these bucks stand up in the bedding area. Now we hunted that multiple times throughout the course of the month. And as it got closer towards November, we were seeing fewer and fewer bucks in that bedding area. Mm-hmm. And that was probably a combination of things. And that was, that was probably because we were hunting it too much. We were leaving too much sooner there, but I think it also has to do with the fact that they're getting closer to the rut and they're starting to spread out. But in early October, they were still, you know, pretty close to other bucks. You're, you're looking, you're talking a lot about betting here. Um, you know, this is a kind of a selfish question, but when you look at, you know, if I was to look at Iowa online or even anywhere that has similar habitat, which like we here in Northeast Texas, we have kind of similar habitat, lots of Creek bottoms, a lot less ag, but our agriculture is more like dairy farms and uh, coastal Bermuda, that kind of thing. So, um, but you know, similar habitat, I guess, little less elevation. And so how do you look at a property? Is there any way to look at a property from an aerial and assume bedding, um, especially like in a big timber situation where there's a lot of timber, is there any way to assume where bedding might be and how are you doing that? Oh yeah, we do that often. Um, and it, it's a combination of things, really. The, the main one, though, is just finding spots that people don't go into mm-hmm. uh, very often. So when you look at a map, you're you're looking for parking lots, you're looking for access trails leading into the area, things of that nature, and you're just pretty much crossing all those off. And then you're and then you're scouting the remainder, the remainder that's there. And, and what we like to look for is some type of habitat diversity. Mm-hmm. So if it's a big block of timber, for instance, we're looking for a spot where, like a hub maybe where multiple ridges converge. Um, and where ridges converge and the terrain drops off pretty steep, you're going to have habitat change. It may go from, for instance, it may be white oaks on the top of the ridge. It may go to red oaks on the side of the ridge. And then like maple trees down in the bottom. Mm-hmm. Well, there's there's habitat transition in there because of that elevation change, you've got different stuff growing on different levels. And then you've got all these ridges dumping down into a hub location. You know, that helps you decipher a situation in big timber, for, for example. So, but the main, the main thing that we're always looking at is where's the human traffic at on private or public land? Like, it's even easier to figure out on private land. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Like, where's the human intrusion? Where's the human scent? And then going to the areas where it is not present, uh, however obscure they may be in some cases, and basically looking for subtle habitat transitions in there mm-hmm. where those deer can have multiple different habitat types at their disposal close to that bedding area. So they're bedding because on they will transition bed lines? Spots like that. Yeah, they will often. Yeah. 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 So it's not, it's not necessarily, um, I guess, I guess a question that comes to mind is like, if it is, um, on a ridge in, a, in timber, um, and there's not a whole lot going down beneath the canopy as far as like, uh, stem count goes, I mean, are you seeing where that's just open timber and they're bedding still uh, and using ridges and that kind of thing? Or is it, or would they tend to gravitate towards transition lines with smaller trees and that kind of thing somewhere else? Yeah. Explain that. Explain that to me one more time. Okay, what, so what 
looking at. So a lot of times, you know, if you have, say, like you spoke of earlier, the white oaks, uh, if you have a bunch of white oaks kind of up around the top or something like that, uh, a lot of times, obviously, during the summer, that blocks out um, a lot of light, so there's not a lot of, um, white, you know, deer-level cover going on underneath that sure. canopy. So, I mean, are you seeing in, like, kind of mature timber like that, are they still using ridges and stuff to bed on, or are they using more – are they going to be using, like, a higher stem count area or, or a transition somewhere else? Uh, they will use a higher stem count area, but don't necessarily discount all the rest of that stuff either mm. that's why we um that's why you can only do so much from a map I mean, right. the map certainly helps and we stare at them all the time but for example what if you're dealing with open timber like that and you had a storm come through and knock down two or three oak trees on the point of one of those ridges right if yep. that happens then you're going to have high stem count in there from where that light is getting to the ground or say one of those big old oaks on the points of one of those ridges died and falls over. Well, I've seen oftentimes where there'll be half a dozen beds right up there underneath of that thing when that, that you know, regen starts to grow back mm-hmm. with that added sunlight. And that's, that's habitat diversity as well as one of those big transition lines. you got to think small and big at times depending on the situation that you're dealing with because they will gravitate to little points like that. If there's, and that's all it could be. It could be that subtle of a habitat transition that could hold a really big buck in a bedding area. That's why scouting that stuff in the off season really pays dividends when it comes time. Yeah. I sure wish I could get up there this summer, but I don't know (laughs) if it's going to happen. So I might be scouting on the fly. yeah, if you can't do it, then obviously, you know, running with maps is, is just fine as well. But but you're still doing the same sort of progression. Mm-hmm. Or at least we are. I mean, in, obviously there's more than one way to skin the cat, so please don't tr- think that I'm trying to tell you this is the only way to do it because there's a bunch of different ways to do it. Yeah. But we're still, we're still picking spots on a map, uh, bedding areas that we, that we believe bucks will be in. And we're approaching them the same way. We're sliding in there, and once we get within a certain distance, you know, a few hundred yards of that bedding area, we're going into stealth mode, and we're being super quiet. And we're looking for sign that tips us off to a buck being in that bedding area. Mm-hmm. You know, we're looking for trails that lead that direction. We're looking at the trails to see if we got big tracks coming in or going out. Looking for fresh rubs coming in or going out. Um scrapes enter around that bedding area and we get super aggressive sometimes and push right into the middle of it Uh, oftentimes you know to a fault we'll go so far as to say we won't even start hunting until we spook a deer of some kind like we'll be getting into those bedding areas and and oftentimes we are intentionally trying to spook a buck or a doe or something along the edge of it just to let us know that we're close enough. And that that's definitely true if we're hunting an area that we have not pre-scouted. Yeah. Because we don't know exactly where the beds are. And what you'll find often, especially earlier in the year, when the bucks are still bachelored up, is they'll be layered into a lot of these bedding areas. The mature bucks will. And that's that's not, like I said, that isn't necessarily 
you know, the case in every situation. But often, if you have a real solid bedding area that you're slipping into early in the season, you'll bump a satellite buck or some does or something out of the edge of it, and uh, they'll run right through the bedding area, and they won't spook the, the big boy that's up in there. Mm-hmm. And if you if you bump them, then you know that you're getting close and set up. And they'll, That night at the buck nest a few years ago, that story I was telling you all earlier, where we saw all those bucks at one night, we blew a group of six does right through the middle of all those bucks. <laughs> really? Before we set up. And those does were down there blowing for an hour while we were hanging the stand. I mean, running around this field, causing a ruckus. An hour later, these bucks started just standing up out of the grass out there everywhere. And they didn't even stand up when those does were out there blowing. Hmm. Golly. So what do you think it is about that time of year that keeps those bucks not really caring what those does or other satellite bucks are doing whenever you're bumping them like that? I, I think it's early enough in the year that they just they get lulled to sleep somewhat, you know? Mm-hmm. I, they've been not, they, they went months on and months on end without getting messed with. And we got to remember like, these things are smart, but they ain't that smart. Like they do, (laughs) they do some things for a reason. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, it, it just amazes you what you can get away with, Mm -hmm. with a mature buck. I don't see them doing that as often in like late season when when it's real crunchy out and the and the ground is wide open and it's like after gun season. If if you bump deer through a mature buck's bedding area during late season, I've seen them get up and move. Mm-hmm. You know, I've seen them get up and take off with the group often. But like I said, that's not necessarily the case every time. Sometimes they'll just lay there real tight, like a grab it in a brush pile, wait for the danger to pass, and then get out of there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, mature bucks often won't move. You know, you've got to put near step on to get them to bust out of those bedding areas because they're so comfortable in there. Hmm. you got to think, like, they've been laying there. They, if they're four or five years old or older, they've been laying in that bedding area a good chance many, many days of their life. And they've had all kinds of things run through there and walk through there. You know, they, they live by their nose. So I'm assuming that, uh, y'all have been back to the buck nest since that one awesome year. I remember watching that and it was <laughs> absolutely crazy. Uh, but I haven't heard as much about it. I don't know if you just haven't hunted as hard or what, but it seems like, uh, the years since have been just a little bit different. Uh, is that, something to do with pressure that changed in there or is it about kind of the maybe the cycles of the oaks or, or what's the deal with that both i think it's a, it was the cycle of the oaks and pressure because the next two years after we hunted that obviously we put it online and everybody and their dog saw it and well there was a lot of folks that went in there the next two years and i think they messed it up but we went back in there last fall and got on buck mm-hmm. we actually had a mature buck stand right up out of one of those beds and come back to us and almost almost got shot at him mm-hmm. but he smelled us on a swirling wind at the last last moment hmm. um you know that's it's just one of those spots that's going to get a fair amount of pressure but if there's so much strategy that goes into getting in there without buggering those deer out of those beds that if if somebody doesn't know exactly where the bedding is and they're just hunting that general area yeah 
what they're most likely just going to do is educate the bucks that are betting there and they're not going to bet there mm-hmm. anymore. And then you're going to keep hunting it and you're not going to see anything and you're eventually going to give up hunting it. <laughs> and then when the pressure slacks back off again, the bucks move back in. Mm-hmm. So is there a, uh, like a theory or strategy just in general when you're talking about like that low marshland bedding um, to where you can know, hey, if the oaks are doing this, the deer aren't going to be in there in early October. But if it's a year where they're doing this, you can bet on kind of across the board, you know, deer are going to be down the creek bottoms. Yeah, certainly. If you don't see trends like that appear over time, you know, where one year maybe the red oaks are falling in a, in a particular area, you know, much heavier than the whites. Uh, maybe you're getting down in that low-lying marshy river bottom stuff and you've got a lot of pin oaks dropping, you know, or black oaks or something like that near a bedding area. And they'll shift around to those at different times. Uh, that's that's another one of those little things that you pick up on when you're in there scouting those bedding areas. Like when we're, when we're scouting a bedding area, there's so much information that we're trying to take in in that particular day. That is really when a lot of the thinking and strategy goes on. It's not as much during the hunting phase of things. Uh, you know, unless we don't know the area and then we're trying to put things together as we go. But if we've scouted that spot, we're going in there and we're scouting it. We're looking for what the deer are browsing on in their bedding areas because you'll see stuff that's nipped off by the deer once you find the beds. Um, you're looking at what they can see out of the beds. You're looking at how they get in and out of there, where the nearest water source is, where the oaks are at, where the crops are at. And then you're putting together everything. And you, you'd be surprised what you can figure out in just one day of scouting those bedding areas, just mm-hmm. super thorough, mm-hmm. you know, and just clearing your mind of everything else and just thinking about how the deer move through there and how they use it during different times of the year as the food sources change and as the buck's needs change from just feeding and laying around all day to the rut. Mm-hmm. And you'll begin to put together all these things. I mean, you, you can see the rubs transitioning out of those bedding areas. You can see a lot of times you can find rut beds along the edge of doe bedding areas that may only get used for a couple weeks out of the year, but oftentimes they're marked up pretty heavy with rubs and the bucks will be set up to watch the does either exit or enter the bedding area. Uh, and I don't know about you guys, but have you ever been sitting a food source in the evening in late October, early November, and you've had a bunch of does come out, and then right at last light, a buck slides out on the trail right behind them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a pretty common scenario. Yeah, a lot of times that deer, and I'm not saying this every time, remember that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, A lot of times that buck is bedded back in the timber close to those does, and he's watching them leave. Mm-hmm. You know, he's set up to monitor them as they, as they exit or enter their bedding area and that's a good thing with does is the does are super predictable sometimes so if you can kind of start to understand how bucks bed and travel in and around those doe bedding areas as the rut comes in that really helps with your you know your setups and stuff yeah so you were talking about rubs earlier and i kind of like to pick your brain a little bit about that because 
But uh, I kind of feel like there's about three different types of rubs that you encounter when you're in the woods. And I feel like there has to be some meaning behind that. You'll find these little wispy things where a deer just tore something up and there's no way to really know, you know, what size he was or anything like that. And then you'll have, you know, a big, deep rub that's fresh um, that you can tell was probably, you know, kind of closer to that rut or a deer that was really, you know, getting out some testosterone on a tree and then you have those you know i call perennial rubs where or signpost rubs where they're just going to come back you know year after year and rub on some of the same trees um when you encounter those different things out in the woods what is that telling you whenever you're talking about you know relating those to doe bedding or buck bedding and that sort of thing oh they're they're saying a lot um, a variety of different things. I mean, we'd have to really get into specific situations in order for me to tell you, like, exactly what I think a rub means, <laughs> you know. But uh, you mentioned signpost rubs, and I'll talk about those because I would say we pay closer attention to those more often than the others mm-hmm. because those are those are used perennially, like you said. Oftentimes, we find those signpost rubs really close to a bedding area that is consistent. It, it's a spot that bucks are bedding or traveling between bedding areas almost every fall. And that's why that thing is worked over every single year. There, there's a real good chance you find a signpost rub. It's at a trail intersection as well, and there's probably a scrape pretty close to that. If there's not a scrape close to that, they could be just leaving scent on the signpost rub. But what we've seen after scouting a lot of those areas, hunting them, and then running cameras over signpost rubs, is that the bucks often approach them from different directions. And they are usually located real close to the bedding, if not right in the center of the bedding area. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And, and that's why they're getting worked year in and year out. Gotcha. You know, then there's, there's so much you can learn from rubs. There's also a lot that you can ignore when, mm-hmm. when you're cruising around scouting out there. It, it really all matters. The, it's all about the bedding and where they're living during the day. When Dan and Paul told me that several years ago, the light bulb just went off in my head. And as well as some of the other guys in our crew, you know, it's like, man, you got to hunt, you got to hunt deer during the day because that's when you can legally kill them. Like everybody's talking about these bucks being nocturnal and everything. And from what I've seen, it's just a bunch of, you know, hocus pocus. Mm-hmm. Like they're not, they're not nocturnal. They just don't move very far in the daylight. There's a difference. Yeah, for sure. So what is you know, some of the stuff that you can ignore when it comes to rubs? Oh, if I'm on the edge of like a big feeding area or something, as it's getting close to the rut, say for instance, you pull up to a public parking lot and there's a great big ag field right there. If you you take out across that ag field, you're probably going to start running into some deer tracks. Once you hit the edge of the field, you're going to run into a few scrapes and maybe some rubs. I basically ignore those rubs because that buck is out there at 2.30 in the morning feeding in that ag field when you're not there Mm -hmm. and he's making rubs then. Gotcha. We might run a trail camera over one of those field edges just to see what's in the area. Right. But we already know when we set it up there that there's a good chance it's going to be all nighttime pictures. Mm-hmm. And we'll just relate those pictures back to the bedding. 
that that we think they're using during the daylight. Right. So how are you, you know, I mean, we were up there in 2017 maybe uh, in March and uh, just kind of like preparing that I might draw the tag in the next couple of years. And we were, we did some scouting and obviously shed hunting, that kind of thing. And, um, you know, I, I, one thing I noticed is, and I've hunted Kansas the last 13 or 14 years. And the one thing I've noticed is that the sign there in Iowa was even better than anything I could imagine in Kansas pretty much. And so it was almost overwhelming at times, you know, I mean, like you kind of just said, you'll you come off the road and it's just like their sign automatically right there is just scrapes and rubs and all and just tracks and trails and everything and 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 obviously that's nighttime stuff most of the time uh in most situations probably but you know even like deeper in the woods there was just so much sign how do you what are you kind of in that same vein like what are you ignoring in the woods yeah when it comes to that and how do you, how are you setting up uh, in an area that you think is, uh, is hot and has got a mature buck near it? That's a good question. Um, because a lot of the over the counter States that we hunt with, you know, fewer deer and fewer bucks, we actually have an easier time figuring it out faster Yeah, yeah. because there's not as much sign. There's not as many bucks to deal with. I mean, Missouri, for example, last fall when, I don't know if you guys watched the video of Ted shooting that big deer or not. Um, but that was, that was one of those hunts where we could figure things out much quicker because we weren't dealing with as much sign in as many bedding areas. Mm -hmm. But in Iowa, you have such a high number of bucks that they're just marking it up everywhere. There's so many two more two year old bucks in Iowa than just about any other state that we've we've hunted for whitetails. Mm-hmm. And two- and three-year-old bucks leave a ton of sign. That's what makes it, that's what makes it real confusing. I would, I would go out on a limb to say that, you know, killing a mature buck in Iowa is just as hard, hard to do as it is anywhere else. Uh, however, killing a buck in Iowa is easier, mm-hmm. you know, because there's so many nice bucks running around. There's lots and lots of two- and three-year-old bucks. So with that said, the the mature bucks are always going to have the best area. They're going to be insulated in there by a lot of those other deer. And wherever they're at is still going to be a place where there's fewer people. So, For example, if you get out and you scout around in Iowa, close to those parking lots or close to those roadways or wherever there's, wherever people are hunting pretty frequently, you're still going to find deer sign in there. You're going to find scrapes. You're going to find rubs. And if you set up in those areas during the rut, you may see piles of deer. But I'm at least I'm not seeing a lot of those hunters hunting those areas harvest immature bucks. They're shooting three year old bucks mm-hmm. a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, which is a, a great buck, and like, heck, I love shooting them too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, uh, I don't have no problem with that at all. But it's for the sake of the conversation. If you're talking about shooting a truly mature old deer, they're not going to put themselves in those spots. Mm-hmm. They're getting hunted. It's the same situation. So even though there's big sign there, it doesn't mean that he's going to be there during the daylight. Mm-hmm. They're all those other bucks may be, but 
he's probably not going to be in there. He's If it's in the rut, he's probably going to be with a doe somewhere, locked down in a location where he can see everything around him, see other bucks and see pressure. Or he's going to be tucked back in one of those bedding areas where he's super confident and there's no other people getting in there. I got you. So that, that soft spot is definitely important. And, and, um, you know, in, in the case that, well, I guess speaking to what you're talking about, you know, it took me, for me, it took me several years to, uh, of putting in to draw the tag. So, you know, especially, you know, early in the season, I'm looking for a pretty, you know, high caliber buck, I guess you'd say four, four year old, maybe even, you know, and better. So, once you kind of find well, if you that, want to kill one of those, that's the time to do it. In the early season, because I guess because there's more on a pattern? Yeah. yeah. I've seen way more mature bucks hunting in Iowa in the first in October and then around like Thanksgiving than I have the first of November through the 15th. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's got to be pressure related too, right? Yeah, it is. Um, you're going to see more bucks in the first two weeks of the rut, no doubt about it. And you're going to see some mature bucks, mm-hmm. but they're very different. I just think they're hard to kill during that time. Mm-hmm. Because if you've got a truly mature buck that's the boss hog in the particular area that you're hunting, if you kill him during the rut, often, or like during November, oftentimes he's going to be with a doe. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you'll catch them going in between bedding areas and that sort of thing. You can certainly do it. I'm not saying that you can't. I mean, I've I've shot some of them in the middle of the rut Mm -hmm. doing that stuff. It's a great time, but I've just had better success in these hunting these bucks in bedding areas, you know, the biggest, oldest bucks in October. Right, right. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, You know, once once you locate – you know, bedding or, or a soft spot essentially where there's not hunter pressure and that kind of thing. Um, you know, I guess a, a question I'd have is, you know, there's still liable to be a ton of sign. Um, say you find, you know, you find the, the pinch or whatever that he may be going through. It's a hundred yards wide. How do you know which trail in that hundred yard pinch to set up on? I know that's a vague question, but maybe you have some insight. Uh- I'd look at the tracks, and more often than not, the big old buck isn't going to walk down the, the dirt path trail that's in the center. Sure. That's got all the tracks on it. A lot of times when we're seeing big mature bucks, we're catching a big track entering and exiting the bedding area on one trail. And that trail might have a couple of little rubs littered down it, and it might not be very heavy at all. That's the, that's the part that a lot of people struggle with especially in Iowa where you got all this deer sign. And, and I'm telling you, we struggle with it too all the time. I've messed up over and over and over again mm-hmm. by trying to set up on the heaviest sign possible. But you just, if that's what you're after is an old buck like that, you got to keep telling yourself that you're, you're wanting to set up to kill him and ignore the rest of the deer. And it's very hard to do when you get out there mm-hmm. and you're, you're trying to determine, like, well, I, I want to make sure to set up on this main trail that's coming through here with all the deer sign on it. But if there's a trail off to the side that maybe bisects that thing somewhere that's got a couple of big rubs on it and then some big tracks in it, I don't care if there's only one set of tracks in it. 
if they're fresh, that's the trail that you want to be set up to shoot. Gotcha. And another good thing with hunting early is you don't have as much sign in the woods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it becomes easier to decipher. And whenever you run into it, you're going to run into it, you know, a lot thicker. Because there's multiple bucks in those bedding areas, often. Not to say that's the case every time. But Mm -hmm. before the first 10 days of October, they're just starting to break out. Of and and that's a, I think that's another misconception too is a lot of folks think in September as soon as the bevel comes off they all disperse immediately and then it's over it's a long process mm-hmm. like when their velvet starts falling off in early September I mean it's still a month and a half before the rut even really starts to kick in mm-hmm. you know and those it's nothing that happens overnight those deer just slowly start to disperse out as it gets closer to Halloween. But in early October, they're often those bucks are still bedded pretty close to one another. Mm-hmm. So what you find is you'll scout a bedding area, you'll scout the next bedding area, you'll scout the next bedding area, you don't have to stand on your back or something, and you won't see a ton of sign in early October, and then all of a sudden you'll start hitting a bunch of rubs leaving a bedding area. And that's what I'm looking for is – a bunch of buck sign leaving one of those bedding areas. And what we see very often then in early October is if we set up on that, we'll see a bunch of bucks Hmm. and we'll see multiple bucks because, you know, they're just easier to find then. Now, in contrast, you go in there in early November and every other tree is going to be rubbed Hmm. throughout all those bedding areas because those bucks have been hitting all those bedding areas at two in the morning and marking them up for the last three weeks. Mm-hmm. Whereas in early October they're not really making those scrape circuits, if you will. Yeah, as much. Yeah, that makes sense. So a lot of this has been um, kind of well Iowa centric, uh, and Midwest centric is kind of you know the, the broader scheme. But uh, I feel like there might be a different approach to things if you're not you know hunting near your hometown or in your home state or a place that you can drive to pretty often and scout. And I know that y'all travel a ton and, and hunt, you know, all over the East. Um, so when you're talking about going to a new place and, and maybe to kind of relate this towards like a long weekend kind of trip, say you've got three days and you're going to drive back Sunday evening, um, you know, after your hunt or whatever, um, do you still try to put boots on the ground and find those bedding areas and, and kind of take a whole day to do that? Or are you going to take a different approach on a shorter trip like that? Oh, it kind of depends on the terrain that we're dealing with. We'll take a different approach. If it's, for example, if it's open terrain and Mm -hmm. we have three days, if we can find a spot where we can observe multiple bedding areas, we will sacrifice a hunt to observe and to see what the heck's going on. Mm Mm-hmm. So if we can get up high, like out west in Nebraska and the Dakotas or even some spots, you know, in the Midwest or even out east where you're observing CRP grass fields or something like that, you can get up high and you can observe one of those fields or potential bedding areas and get eyes on a buck leaving, then you spend your rest of the the rest of the weekend hunting that spot because you just found him. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it's in thicker terrain then we'll just dive in and we'll just start bouncing from one to the next. 
And that's what we're doing. We're looking for the betting, and we're looking for sign leaving them. Mm-hmm. And we're not too worried if it's a short trip like that. We ain't too worried about spooking deer. I mean, if we end up spooking them, then so be it. We'll we'll either decide after we spook them how bad we spooked them, if we can come back in there and hunt the very next day, or if we can put together some kind of pattern on why they were there and then go try to duplicate that somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I got For you. example, last year we were we were in Kentucky and we only had five days, but by the third day of the trip, through several hunts and basically just scouting daylight to dark, scout hunting is what I would call it. We were hunting in the morning and spending the daytime scouting and just bouncing around everywhere, then hunting somewhere in the evening, observing somewhere in the evening. What we noticed towards the end of that trip was that those bucks were still on the beans, especially bean fields that were about waist high because it was early September. And they were favoring the west side of those bean fields buttoned up against timber because that was the first place to get shaded out in the evening. Mm-hmm. And we actually noticed that a lot of those bucks were bedding right on the edge of those beans on those shady sides. So once we figured that out, then we just looked for the west edge of one of those bean fields that was tough to get to where people weren't messing with. And we immediately found bucks. It just took us several days to put that pattern together, though. I mean, we had three, four hunts that were bus, you know, that we just picked up a little bit here, a little bit there. And then towards the end of the trip, we finally started to put together where they were at. But it just comes, you just got to spend as much time as you can out there. Mm Because every single time you're picking up little bitty details like that. Yeah. Then you talk about time, you know, uh, you hear a ton about October cold fronts. And I think that we kind of all understand that concept. It's not something, you know, we got to spend a bunch of time on deer going to move on their feet whenever it feels good outside, kind of like us. But if if you do have, you know, a tag like an Iowa tag is now out of state or anywhere that you're kind of itching to go hunt. Sometimes you have to schedule your hunt more than you can look at weather patterns. What do you do in like a warm front situation like that. So you got three or four days and I mean, your forecasted temperatures are 10 to 15 degrees higher than seasonal norms. You know, uh, you can't just not hunt in that situation. Sure. But you, uh, you can not hunt the same areas. Yeah. Because the situation changes then. <clears throat> so if it's warm, I'm going to be looking for a pond or a creek or something that is real close to bedding or in the bedding area itself. And that's what I'm going to be sitting on. And I'm going to be getting as close to those suckers as I possibly can because they ain't going to move very far at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What in other things, too, that you can, you know, start to pick up on as you start finding more beds. And I learned this from a friend of mine, Joe Elbinger. Um, He's actually from up in northern Iowa, but he found that mature bucks would bed in shade a lot more frequently when it got warm. I've even seen them go down in some of those creek beds and bed right up along the edge of the water when it's super warm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and maybe it's only a 60 to 80 yard difference from versus where they would normally bed within a bedding area. But if it's warm like that, you've got to be super aggressive because they're not going to move very far. Mm-hmm. They're just not. Um, they still are going to move. And I've seen them get up and do stuff when it was super warm out, you know, plenty of times. Yeah. 
but that's what we're more so what we're looking for. We're still going right into the bedding area, but we'd rather sit over a little pond or something that's in there or, you know, like I said, a creek bed or whatever. Mm-hmm. If it's super hot in the middle of the day, for example, and they're bedded near a creek, you might kill that buck at one thirty in the afternoon going to the creek to get a drink. Yeah. That would be cool. You're, just, <laughs> you're set up to, to hunt one. Well, a lot of times that's how it works. If mm-hmm. you shoot a big ancient buck, you're killing them in, in very specific scenarios like that where you're set up to, you get into the edge of a bedding area and you say, okay, it, it's dead calm. It's super hot. I know he's in there because that's the amount of confidence you got to have, you know, and Infall talks about this all the time too. Confidence is a huge deal. And I don't, he's got more than anybody else I know because he, <laughs> he literally thinks that there is a monster buck in every single bedding area that he goes to. Mm-hmm. And I still struggle with that. You know, I'm always second guessing myself and whatnot because I always think things, but that's a good lesson to take away. You got to have, you got to believe that that thing is in there. And then as you're going in there to hunt it and you're sl- slipping in looking for a setup, if, for example, it's a hot, stagnant day like that, maybe you bring water with you and you sit there from 10 to 4 in the afternoon over mm-hmm. the exit trail that leads to that creek. And you might not see a, a, a deer all day. But then again, he may stand up and get hot in the middle of the day and go to that creek to get water within his safe zone inside that bedding area, and that may be when you kill it. Mm. That makes for great video, for sure. When you... <laughs> Daylight. <laughs> well, just if you have to sit yeah. there all day and not see anything. But, I mean, it makes sense if you're uh, – if, you know, if it's what it takes to kill it. Do you think – I think it was a year or two ago, I don't know, I remember a video y'all did where uh, – you jumped a buck, I think you're in Missouri, and it had junk all up in its horns and it's right on the creek. Was that what that buck was doing, you think? Yeah, it was super hot that day, and the very next day it was super hot. We almost killed him the next evening. Yeah. You know, we see him bed right next to water often early in the season and during the rut, for that matter. Yeah. How often do you jump a, a buck in October and feel like, or I guess have have another chance at him in that same area. Like, you know, how often are they going to just run for you know the, to the next county, or you know, are they typically in that time of year just so locked into a bedding area that there's a good chance they'll come back? Uh, it all depends on the nature of what you spook them. Sure. Um, if you spook the hell out of them and they take off running, you see them run, 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 and Maybe they smelled you. Maybe they saw you. There's a good chance they may not be back there for a while. Yeah, yeah. Uh, at the same time, I've bumped them out of those areas like that, and they went right back then, right back in the very same bed the next day. So it, I would tend to say it depends on how hard you bump them. If you bump them real hard out of there and they take off like a bat out of hell and run, 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 I probably am not going back to that same spot after that same buck. Mm-hmm. But if I bump one out of there, and it's obvious that he runs 100 yards, stops, and even starts blowing, he's doing that because he can't figure out what the heck you are. A lot of times deer associate, you know, blowing and snorting with the deer just totally spooking from, you know, their human presence. 
But what you'll find happens is they're blowing at you because they don't know what the hell you are. Mm -hmm. They didn't smell you, and they're trying to so that they can figure out what you are. And if you, and if you just slide back out of there, many times, you know, they're probably, they're eventually going to walk in there downwind and they're going to try to pick up your scent and find out what you are. But many times they don't, or they do, and they just don't care. And they go right back to the bedding area. Hmm. Is that because we've it, seen that happen a bunch? It's their safest place. And they're like, Hey, that was a one-time intrusion. You know, it's still going to be the safest place. Well, they get bumped out of there every once in a while by coyotes or whatever, you know. So it's it's not a huge deal if you just do it once. The pressure is is all about um, how should I put this pattern of pressure. So if you're going if you're going into one of those bedding areas over and over again in a predictable fashion, they're not going to bed there because they're going to start picking up your scent. And they're going to realize that you're encroaching on their domain. They're going to move. If you go in there one time and you bump them out of there, often they don't know what the hell just happened. They have no idea, you know, and they'll go right back to it because it's their place that they're confident in. And you got to be there ready to kill them the next time that they're in there. That's what we did with that buck in Missouri that you're talking about. We just didn't get quite close enough to the bed, but he came out of the same exact bed hmm. the very next night. How quick can that happen? Like, I mean, you, you hear about the old bump and dump or whatever, and yeah. I don't know. I just feel like uh, I, I've never seen it work uh, on heavily yep. pressured public land, but I'm sure it can. Is there a specific scenario when you kind of think that could be a possibility? Oh, for sure. Um, it, if you go into those spots and you basically surprise jump a buck out of a bedding area, you could kill him that very day. I mean, I've seen them do that. I've, I've bumped them out of those bedding areas before and seen the same buck two hours later, trying to come in there and circle downwind of the spot that you bumped him out of. Mm-hmm. They, a lot of times they don't know what the heck you are when you spook them. You're, you're walking up on a bed of deer and you startle the crap out of them and they take off out of there. You know, mm-hmm. it'd, yeah. be, it'd be like you walking through your house in the middle of the night and something's falling over somewhere. You scare the crap out of you and you run out on the front <laughs> porch. Well, you don't know what the heck happened. You got to go back in the house and turn on all the lights. <laughs> Same difference. Yeah. Or burn it down. You know, one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's the same difference. Yeah. You know, well, the dog might have got in the trash or something, or maybe you got a burglar in there. You don't know. But it was enough to startle you to get the heck out of there and get your wits about you and then go back in and figure out what's going on. Buck's doing the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Unless, he's, unless he visually sees you in there, um, and even when they do that, they still can't quite figure out what the heck you are. If he mm. smells you, you're in trouble a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Because that's how they've really praised this stuff. Yeah, it's all the it's all situational, man. It just it, it every single time you're going to be faced with something slightly different, and you can draw on all your experiences a lesson there that you can sort of tie in and help you down the road. But it's it's all about reading the specific situation that day at that moment. Mm-hmm. 
And that's what that's what gets those old ones killed. Is somebody that as a hunter that is super adaptable that can that can set up for a variety of different situations like that. Well, I feel like you have uh, done a pretty good job in October through the years, um, you know, with the buck nest stuff. And I feel like you killed a, a real big deer in October a couple of years back. Might have been closer to Halloween or something like that. Um, what do you think is your most memorable October hunt? Oh, uh, it's probably that buck nest deal. Yeah. Um, that one, and then I still Zach Fairball kill a buck uh, on October 14th. Um, on a piece of public ground the year before the buck nest deal. Uh, and that same night that he shot that buck, our buddy Luke Nissen and Michael Perini were right down the road on private land and they killed a buck that same night. So literally that Luke shot his buck and texted us. And as our phones were buzzing, Zach's bow was drawn on this deer and he (laughs) shot him. (laughs) And we got both bucks killed on video. They were on Midwest White Drone Chase November years ago. Mm -hmm. So those are, those are pretty cool hunts. And and we've had a number of other really close calls in October in great encounters, you know, as well as a handful of, of, you know, kills as well. But that buck nest hunt was, that buck nest hunt was probably the most memorable one. When we saw all those bucks standing up in there, because at that point we had we had just started dabbling in the buck bedding stuff. We had we'd been messing with it for a little while, and we'd seen some mixed results so far. We we were still kind of unsure about it, but we fully trusted it on that hunt and went straight in there. And at this point in our you know in our hunting careers, I don't even like saying that because hunting isn't a career. Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, at this point in our, in hunting, Zach and I are, you know, in our twenties and we have some experience, but most of our experience through, from experts has just been bucks are nocturnal in October and they're extremely hard to kill. Mm-hmm. Well, that particular night in infall kept saying, you know, and our buddy Greg Lipsinger over the years are saying like, no, nah, I mean, you just got to find out where they live during the day and get in there and hunt them, you know, in the bedding areas. And when we filmed all those bucks, I think we filmed 15 bucks that night, and five or six of them were mature bucks in the one bedding area on October the 6th. Um, might have been in the 7th. It was the 6th or the 7th. When we filmed all those things in that buck nest that night, it was just like, holy cow. This is, these guys are right 100%. Like, literally <laughs> everything, everything that they told us that what happened just happened mm-hmm. in front of our eyes mm-hmm. and awesome. that debunked a lot of you know quote unquote hunting myths in our minds at that point and once we got once we got outside of that you know false comfort zone we really started having success mm. yeah so what's uh what's your most exciting hunt that you're going to take on this year what are you most excited about well, we're going to try to go hunt elk early September. That should be fun. Yeah. Um, we're going to go to Michigan for the uh, – out in Colorado. Yeah? Who is Zach going or who's going with you? I don't know if it'll be me and Ted or Zach and Ted. Yeah. But we're going to go out there and hunt with the born and raised outdoors guys. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. We had uh... – That'll be fun. And then we're going to do the public land challenge up in Michigan. 
Cool. Good. Good. On public. You won't be alone. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. It should be fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Mark says there's no deer to kill in Michigan. Like the, the they all get shot. So I don't know if you're gonna find any up there or not. But <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure there's deer to be killed. Yeah, I'm sure there is too. Yeah, there's deer to be killed. There may not be a 180 inch five year old buck to shoot, but we don't care. Yeah, I mean, if there's if there's deer around, we're gonna try to find them and figure them out. Yeah, for sure. How do you manage your expectations on an out of state hunt like that? I mean, I, I'm kind of with you. I just like to kind of shoot stuff, and the more and more I travel, the more I realize, man, that wasn't a lot of fun if I go and travel and don't actually get to shoot something, you know? So, yeah, like, how do you kind of manage that? Oh, um, man, anymore, we we get a bigger kick out of just going to these areas and learning them and, figure, and trying to figure them out. Yeah. You're bow hunting in a lot of these situations, and the the fact of the matter is is there's a lot – there's a lot of things that got to go right in order for you to kill a mature buck with a bow. The, the hard part to me is just putting yourself in that situation over and over again. So that's our goal is just put ourselves in a situation where we can shoot a, a, a nice deer for that area that mm-hmm. makes us happy. Mm-hmm. You know, and if we do that at the end of the day, we're usually you know, knock on wood, we've we've had success doing that. And and it may not be a mature buck that we end up shooting. It may be a two or three year old buck. But we're there for a short period of time. It's just not feasible to expect to shoot a you know, a, an ancient old buck on a four or five day hunt in an area that you've never been. I mean you can cert I mean we're trying to do that, obviously. But it's just not something that's going to happen every time mm. that you go. Mm. So we're hunting for those deer, but if uh, if a smaller buck or doe or whatever comes by and presents a good opportunity, we're going to take that one in a heartbeat. Be pretty tickled about it. Sure, man. <laughs> I understand that 100%. Well, I uh, I appreciate your time, Aaron, and I, I hope you guys have a lot of luck this year. You're probably going to need it in Michigan. And uh, if it's OTC <laughs> yep. in Colorado, you might need a little bit there. But, man, uh, I'm sure you guys will do some great things this year and, and uh, hope the best of luck for you, man. Thanks. Yeah. Appreciate it. No problem, man. So what's, uh, what's the best way to find out what you guys are doing? I mean, can you just search deer on Google and y'all will pop up, or how does that work? <laughs> <laughs> no. No. Uh, you can just search the hunting public and we'll pop up. We're on YouTube and Amazon and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and we've also got the Hunting Public Podcast on all major podcast platforms. Cool, man. Well, we will link to all that in the show notes, so if you're listening, feel free to go down there and click that. Aaron, I appreciate it again, man. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, guys. Sounds good. All right. See you. Well, I appreciate Aaron coming on and talking to us for a little bit. Uh, it's always good to, to see guys that have had some October ex- success uh, give us a little advice. So hopefully we can employ some of that. And we've got another guy coming up here soon as well that a lot of people are going to know. And, and uh, man, he's full of information. He was just spitballing, dude, wasn't he? <laughs> dude, one of the coolest new big buck names or words I've heard. Yeah. Will be used and explained in this podcast that's and coming up. I don't even know if I can remember it. It's just so weird. It's a little bit like Madagascar, <laughs> but different. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, well, uh, guys, I got to say this because this is the last chance that you guys have. Um, 
on the way back from the Gila, we're choosing a winner for the Vortex Binoculars. And for uh, if we get to 300 reviews, we're going to choose a winner for uh, the Exodus Trek Trail camera that we're giving away as well. Uh, and then also swag, which I've got a shirt here that I'm sending to a guy who ordered one. So thanks, guy. Um, which his guy, his name's not Guy, which there are people that have the name Guy. <laughs> It'd be so cool if confusing. Guy ordered one. <laughs> it would, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, um, go give us a review now. And I'll tell you this, a lot of times Apple has to review the review mm. to make sure that you didn't say something that you shouldn't be, that people don't need to be seeing or whatever, I guess. So make sure you do it right now. Go, go give us a review. And that way, uh, in the next few days, it'll show up on our, uh, on our end and we'll be able to have you in the running for the binoculars, the camera and the swag. And the um, Onyx. And the Onyx. Yeah. Don't, yeah. Don't, don't, don't Which, uh, we are currently using the tar out of in yes. the Gila. I can promise you that. That's right. Yep. And I used it in Nebraska so much. I thought that I was like going to use all of my data or something. You know, <laughs> it was just, I was on it nonstop. So it's a, it's a cool thing to use. And I think you guys would, would like it. Whoever gets the chance to win this thing, if you don't have it. So thank you for all the reviews so far. And remember, this is your element. Live in it. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit MarketHouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to Land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins.